And a big welcome to our listeners joining us on SENQ 693am in Brisbane, 1620am on the Gold Coast. And welcome back to those on 1170am in Sydney and around the network. If you missed our hot topic this morning, a different take on Australia Day, an outside looking in take as well. And we're wondering who your favourite non-Aussie Aussie is. Because Novak Djokovic last night in his chat with Jimmy Courier after his big win over Andre Rublev just went to the well and started speaking about the love of Roger Federer. And we miss Roger. And I, and I went, well, he's got to be our favourite non-Aussie Aussie. Does he not? And on this Australia Day, 0457 736 736, you can join in that conversation. Got some classic names. It doesn't have to be sport. Does not have to be sport. So those that we love who are not really Aussies, but classify as non-Aussie Aussies. Let me know. Also, my chat with Joel Selwood uh, earlier this morning, of course, four-time AFL Premiership player, an absolute legend of the game, is part of the campaign to make our beaches safer this summer. You can catch up with that on my podcast, Mornings with Matt White, download from Spotify and Apple to uh, relive that chat. He's also having a, a big a big impact at the Melbourne Storm. He's joined them as a leadership coach. In fact, when we spoke to him, he was at Cardinia Park, which is home of the Geelong Cats, but that's where the Melbourne Storm were, down there having a bit of a boot camp and a run-through. So it was great to catch up with Joel. Let's do an Australian Open update. Thanks to Kia. The all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar is landing soon as we head into day 11 of play. But all the talk, Brett Phillips, good morning to you, continues to be around Novak. He is going to next-level territory. Yeah, he is. Uh, good morning, Matt. Uh, look, the last two performances have been, you know, simply emphatic, uh, incredible performances, uh, the highest level of tennis. And uh, yeah, the gap uh, right now appears to be uh, daylight in the rest. Uh, so uh, yeah, Novak um, sets up a meeting with Tommy Paul, the American. I wonder what he's thinking, <laughs> you know, making his first uh, Grand Slam uh, semi-final, which is a great achievement. He's a uh, well-coached, uh, really talented young American who was, uh, arguably the best of the uh, the juniors with Fritz and Opelka and Tiafo and now we're starting to see uh, the fruits of his labour uh, come to the fore at a Grand Slam. But yeah, I don't know whether he's going to trouble uh, Novak. I mean, unless someone can you know actually win a first set against Novak and just make things interesting, and then if it stretches out to four or five. Who knows? But uh, the players aren't even getting near that point. I mean, you know, Djokovic is getting a break in the early part of the first set, and when he's off and running, he's uh, he's so hard to, uh, to to reel in. And, and Andre Rublev, you can see the frustration setting in last night, and there was yeah. no, no real plan B from Rublev. Not that you're allowed to dictate, but you know, Rublev just tried to hit the ball harder, and that's his uh, that's his mantra. But you know, the errors came particularly off that forehand. Uh, Djokovic peppered away there when he was uh, under the pump. Um, yeah, the errors came. And really the only time that Rublev had an impact was when he, I mean, he was already in the hole, but when his frustration level grew and he just started to hit out, he was hitting winners. They, they didn't end up making a difference, but they at least got him on the board. So I wonder then if Tommy Paul has to just throw caution to the wind. I mean, what has he got to lose here against Novak Djokovic? Novak has clearly got more... To, to lose when you put it in perspective of the tournament and Grand Slam numbers overall and 10 Australian Opens. So does Tommy Paul just go out there with, let's just have a crack? Well, that has to be the game plan because if you just play 
if you just play with Novak, and it's almost like you know Novak's just uh, having a, a light practice hit. He's just uh, pushing the ball around, and, and that suits uh, Djokovic to a tee because he doesn't miss too much. He's just so accurate, and you know it hits with so much depth. Um, so you've got to come up with something that's going to blow him off the court, and that is just a lot of you know, it's high risk. But you're right. I mean, Paul's got nothing to lose. It's a huge occasion. If he's uh, if he's any chance of beating Djokovic, he needs to rattle him early. And, and get the crowd in his corner supporting the underdog. But, um, yeah, I mean, Tommy's a good athlete. He's a very good player. But, uh, oh, you know, I want the underdog to step up, man. But I, I just can't go into bat for one because I don't know how they break down a guy who's just doing everything exceptionally well. I mean, mentally, uh, look at look at the eyes of Djokovic. I mean, he's just in another, another stratosphere. Uh, the technique, um, you know, the shape he puts on the ball, he, you know, the, that, you know that, that beautiful shape he gets, which gets into the corners. Uh, no, no one can... Uh, no one can play at that level. Uh, that, that's that's what he's bringing to the table, Djokovic, and particularly on a hard court where he's so dominant. So unless something dramatic happens with Novak uh, physically or he has a, a massive meltdown, uh, you know, I'll give him the trophy right now. Are you noticing anything in Novak's... He's not giving anything away, is he? But are you noticing anything that there's a little bit of extra motivation in this one. He's spoken a little bit about that injury and, and the perception around that. But obviously what happened last year as well, I mean, that virtually hasn't been raised along the way over the last week and a half. But is is there something that you're noticing about Novak that if he does get to the end of this and holds the trophy, that he will turn around and say, you know what, I, I, was, I was bloody well extra motivated to get this one done? Yeah, well, I just, I just see yeah, nothing overly noticeable, but I just see a, a man on a mission who knows that uh, he's 35 years of age, and you know this is the year that he needs to really uh, be able to uh, capitalise, particularly at the majors. And you know, Wimbledon, he's had a, a bit of a stranglehold over. You know, hopefully the US allow him in later in the year, but who knows how that's going to play out? They're not going to make a special case, and the US um, Open's not going to lobby like the Australian Open tried to do. And, and whether he can displace Nadal at the French, and we always query after a, you know, an injury start to the year for Nadal, whether he can, can get himself up for another big clay court season. So that's all in front of us. So I just think there's, um, you know, he's on a mission. He knows the young guys are coming and he's got to really capitalise right now while the body's still uh, still in pretty good nick, uh, which, you know, apart from a few little niggles here and there, uh, is pretty sound. So, yeah, there's a lot driving him. He clearly wants to be uh, the best. He thinks of himself as, as the best. You can interpret him however you like. Some might look at it a bit cocky, a bit arrogant. Um, but, you know, I think it's a, he's a sports person who, you know, has had a dream as a youngster to be the greatest of all time. That's what he wants to be. And uh, who's going to stop him? No one at this stage. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find, isn't it? Um, so we had the women's semifinals this evening. So we'll know our finalists by the end of tonight. And it's interesting just the way that it pans out for the women. So Rybakina and Azarenka played a couple of days ago. And Elena Rybakina was, um, she had the afternoon session. So in return, in, in times of recovery, in terms of recovery time, I should say, she's had the longest in between these matches, whereas Magdalenette would be on an extraordinary high after yesterday and so too Sabalenka, but they've all got to play this evening. Yeah, and I think, you know, certainly Sabalenka, I'm, yeah, book her in the final for here. I, I can't see Magdalenette continuing uh, the fairy tale run. Sabalenka's got eyes at least for the final. Uh, that's a first box to tick. She'd been to three uh, semis uh, previously. 
the other one's a really hard one to call. Uh, with her Azarenka, now she returned so well the other night, but clearly Rybakina possesses a far greater weapon with her serve than Jessica Bagula. Um, so whether Vika's going to get the looks to... Um, you know, be able to get that early break of serve because, uh, you know, she was, uh, she was sending them down the middle depth, particularly off her backhand, which was really powerful. Uh, the forehand can come a little bit unstuck at times. So right back in her is the one that, yeah, we, we, you know, the focus is on obviously Azarenka is maybe the fairy tale story. Sabalenka has been knocking on the door that we sort of forget about right back in her and we shouldn't. I mean, she's a Wimbledon champion and she's got, goes about it in a much quieter fashion. Uh, but look, you know, when she's on, she could, you know, she could possibly blow Azarenka away. But I, I think the way Azarenka's playing, she's moving exceptionally well at 33. And I think uh, her, her tennis smarts and her ability to, you know, just uh, absorb a bit of that pace and then get to work. I think we'll see her step up on the big occasion uh, tonight, which and I, I'm probably wanting a Sabalenka azarenka final. I think it'd be brilliant. You know, mm. both from the same country. Uh, Sabalenka really was a replica of... Uh, Azarenka, when she burst onto the scene, loud and feisty and the younger version. And I think it'd be great to see them go head to head. We'll have uh, Rinki Hitchikata and uh, Jason Kubler in action in the men's doubles semifinals. So the the doubles and the legends doubles um, sort of getting things underway. I wouldn't mind being out of Margaret Court Arena to see Marcus Bagdadis team up with Mark Philippoussis. Have you seen Bagdadis around yeah. the traps? What What does he look like these days? Well, uh, he's put on a couple of kicks, as uh, <laughs> all the players uh, do. But no, I've been watching uh, Marcus. He, him and Mark have had a, a couple of hit-outs. It's actually very entertaining. It's probably the best Legends field I've seen. I mean, Daniela Hantikova, who's done some commentary with us, has um, uh, taken to the court. She still looks like she could actually play uh, at 39 years of age. But, yeah, Marcos has still got uh, some, some nice touch. Um, oh, the Scud, he, he's still sending down serves over 200, Matt. I mean, he could get out and just serve uh, some Thunderbolts. Uh, and the Bryan brothers have been the star act. I mean, they have been superb. Uh, Bob and Mike, who um, have still got the great synergy and and uh, if they wanted to, they could probably still win a couple of rounds, I reckon, of the Australian Open main draw. That's how good they still are. So, yeah, they, they are entertaining uh, the masses early in the day. All right. Big day ahead. We'll let you get on with it. Thank you, BP. We'll talk again tomorrow. Pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Brett Phillips there. AO uh, Radio, you can catch it right here. All the coverage from 7 o'clock tonight. Those uh, matches on Centre Court will start at 7.30 this evening. So there's a half an hour of... Uh, I'm not really sure what it is. It's a presentation, the original nine presentation. should have asked Brett there, but there's a presentation on at uh, 7 till 7.30 and then that'll go into the women's semifinals. A pinnacle of engineering, the Kia EV6 GT is the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Do you know it's 17 years since Marcos Bagdadis was in the final at the Australian Open? you got to go back to 2006 for when he was... At the time, I reckon fair to say right up there on the list of Australia's uh, favourite non-Aussie Aussies. (laughs) I was there at the time. It was amazing to watch that run go and the support that he garnered. And if you want to take the story uh, a little bit further, he's 37 years of age. Um, There's a great series on Netflix called Playbook and it dives into the world of coaching. And Patrick Moratoglu, who, of course, was Serena Williams' coach for a long time, goes into detail about his relationship with Marcus Bagdadis and they had almost a father-son relationship and they had incredible success, but it actually got to the stage, wasn't long after, um, I reckon 06 when Marcus was at somewhere near the top of his game, 
that he decided that he just didn't want to train as hard and he didn't want to put in as hard. And Moritoglu said to him, well, I know what happens when you do that. And what happens is you don't get the results. So if that's the way that you want to be, let me tell you, you're going to slide off very, very quickly. And that's exactly what happened. He kept going, Marcus Bagdadis. In fact, his last major tournament was at Wimbledon in 2019. And he kept fighting away. After he made the final here in 2006, he made the fourth round again in 09. And from then on, didn't get past the third round. That's just at the Australian Open. He kept plugging away. And as I look across his list, he barely got past the third round in any of the major tournaments that he went to from then on, from pretty much 2010 until he eventually packed it up full time about four or five years ago. An extraordinary career, an incredible story, especially when he was out here. I mean, he won almost 10 million US dollars. He's gone okay. He's 2003 turned pro. So he was three years into his pro career when he went on that run to become our favourite non-Aussie Aussie back in 06. But different story these days. And he'll be on Margaret Court Arena alongside Mark Philippoussis in the men's legends doubles. But the big focus today, well, too, for Australia... We do have Hijikata and uh, Kubler out there in the men's double semi, so looking to go through to the final. And, of course, we rode the, a different wave, but we rode the wave of the special Ks this time last year. Now we've got to get behind Rinky and Kubler and then the women's semis tonight. So Rybakina against Azarenka and then Lynette against Sabalenka. So in Brett Phillips's eyes, it's a Rybakina-Sabalenka uh, final, possibly um, Sabalenka a shoe-in in his opinion and give the trophy to Novak. I mean, a man on a mission, I reckon, is the best way that he's, he has been described in this tournament. And we spoke there about, I mean, w- what extra motivation does somebody like Novak need at this stage? He's chasing history, right? He's, he's on his own now. He's chasing Rafa and he's chasing it. He will overhaul Rafa and he will end up with more major wins than any other male tennis player. That's, that's a given. When that happens, we don't know. Probably happen on Sunday night. So he's on his own little journey at the moment, really. And a man on a mission is a really good way to put it. So what is the motivation? What's the extra drive that he needs? This year, compared with previous years, for whatever reason, hamstring, what happened last year, age, whatever it might be? Well, I I don't think that uh, I lack determination. I I always, um, you know, try to give my best uh, particularly in Grand Slams, because at this stage of my career, you know, those those are the, the tournaments that, that count the most, of course. Um, but you could say that there is something extra this year. Yeah, you, you could say because of the, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, the injury and, uh, you know, what happened last year. And then I just, you know, wanted to really uh, do well. And, and so far, I have, I have a perfect score in Australian hard courts, you know, in Adelaide and, and here. And I've been playing better and better. So I couldn't ask for a better situation to be in at the moment. Here's one for you. So where's Novak then on the list of favourite non-Aussie Aussies? I mean, you've got you to remember, and I was trying to explain this to, to Mark in terms of the history of Novak in Australia. Take last year out of it. Take, take the whole palaver from last year out of it because that was a culmination, I reckon, of a whole stack of things. But Novak won his first ever major tournament right here. This is where he made his name in Australia. This is where he went up into the upper echelons of the big three. 
and announced his arrival. I think he was 21 at the time. But the Australian audiences had a love-hate relationship with him because of his antics on the court and he was also, you know, he was always prepared to sort of toss it in or he wanted to take a breather or there was, you know, it, it just kept going and going and going. There, there was the Serbian factor as well. I mean, polarising just by virtue of, of the flag next to his name, nothing to do with him. So all of that built up. But the other thing is, and we spoke about heroes and villains, yes, the other thing, he was, he was the villain in this piece. The love affair that Australia had with Roger, back to, everything goes, goes back to Federer today, it didn't matter if Novak was the nicest guy on the planet and the best player ever from the most neutral country, if there's one other than Switzerland, then he still would have been way down the list because Roger was way up the list. 0457 736 736. 20 minutes after 10 for our Sydney listeners. 20 after 9 for our Queensland listeners. We're looking for your favourite non-Aussie. I mean, Kim Clijsters has got a shout-out on the text a couple of times. Oh, that's... I mean, in tennis terms, that, folks, is right up.